Grace and peace, beloved friends, and welcome to Your Week with St. Luke's, our weekly podcast, which, which begins the weekly rhythm that we've been inviting everyone into of learn, live, love, and lead. And that learn kicks everything off. And so our time together is a time for us to learn. And this week, we kick off a new sermon series, a new teaching series called Relive. And we'll be examining uh, the resurrection accounts contained in the Gospels and how they speak into our lives, the stewardship of our lives, about how the resurrection of Jesus speaks into our legacy, the legacy that we, we leave. So since we've been working our way through our namesake, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, according to Luke, um, we're going to start with Luke's resurrection account which is contained, which is found in Luke chapter 24. And while examining a text, it's helpful to, to break it down into manageable chunks, sections or portions that, that make up the chapter as a whole. In chapter 24, we see three or, or four sections that we call pericopes. In verses 1 through 12, we have the discovery of the empty tomb. Uh, in, in Luke, it's by the unnamed women. In verse 13 through 35, we have a uniquely Lucan account. The story is found nowhere else. It's the story of Jesus' appearance to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Verse 36 through 43, we have Jesus' appearance to the eleven in Jerusalem. In the last section of the chapter, verse 44 through 53, is made up of the final instruction, commission, and promise, as well as the departure, the ascension of Jesus. Now, before we get too further into this, let me first encourage you to spend time this week in all of chapter 24 of Luke. However, for our time here and throughout this week in our Life Together groups, we'll be focusing our attention on a smaller pericope, Luke 24, verse 36 through 43. So hear these words. While they were saying these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were terrified and afraid. They thought they, had, they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you startled? Why are doubts arising in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It's really me. Touch at me and see, for a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you see I have. As he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Because they were wondering and questioning in, their, in the midst of their happiness, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of baked fish. Taking it, he ate it in front of them. So right away as we start to examine uh, this text, there are a number of observations that, that we can make really right off the bat. And one it would be a little more obscure, obscure but we've been reading uh, the Gospels together throughout this year. Uh, and the first one that comes to my mind is the number of parallels that this Lucan text has with the Gospel of John's account of the resurrected Jesus' appearance to the 11. As we've learned throughout this year, as we've read the, the Gospels slowly, 
how we've learned how the gospels are different from each other and how they are the same. If you remember that Matthew uh, and Luke have a lot in common with Mark, and those three are called the synoptic gospels. Synoptic means seen together. Optic, seen, and syn, S-Y-N, is the Greek for together. This is because they have so much in common. Matthew and Luke are taking their cues from Mark. John John is off on his own, a different perspective, a very different style, very little in common or agreement with the synoptic gospels, especially in chronology and the order of events. So here we have this singular synoptic text in Luke that has obvious parallels with the fourth gospel, John. This seems to suggest that both Luke and John are independently developing material that's drawn from a common early tradition. Jesus showed up among them and said, peace be with you. Luke chapter 24 verse 36 and John chapter 20 verse 19. Jesus showed his hands and feet in Luke. He shows his hands inside in John. In Luke, Jesus invites them to observe. In John, it's only Thomas. In Luke 24, verse 41, and John 21, verse 5, Jesus asks for something to eat, and he eats the fish. These small shared details are fascinating, especially considering that they are part of this, what scholars call the doubt motif. Matthew 28 says that some doubted. John 20, as we said before, says that Thomas doubted. Mark, of course, is silent on the matter, but Luke says they. He's encompassing all that are there. You see, the they here is a plural personal pronoun. It's not singular, it's plural. Luke is roping them and all of us in to this experience. We all doubt. We all get caught off guard. From time to time, we're unsure of what we are seeing, hearing, and experiencing, unsure of how to make sense of things, unsure of what to believe. Another kind of quick observation we can make is, is the pattern of this narration that, that seems to follow along with the Emmaus encounter, just the section before. And while our pericope for our time here is much briefer than the Emmaus encounter, the pattern, the patterns still match. The risen Lord Christ appears. The disciples don't recognize him. They are uh, scolded, as Fred Craddock says, for doubting. Food is shared, and they respond with, with wonder and joy. Well, I wonder if this pattern is relatable to any of us. Our Lord shows up in unexpected times and unexpected places and in unexpected ways. And we don't really recognize him and the person we see that is experiencing hunger or homelessness or the person who has been hurt and harmed by societal structures like corporations, government structures, or, or the church. Maybe we doubt that we can or even should do anything about it for them. I don't want to get too preachy, so let's keep going. As we dig deeper, 
we take on another perspective of our text. It's interesting that despite the women's testimony and the testimony of the two Emmaus travelers, that Simon Peter and the others present are still taken aback. They're frightened, the text says. They think that they're seeing a ghost, an apparition. I wonder if this is actually Luke's goal for this section, for his telling of Jesus's resurrection in this way, to proclaim the bodily resurrection of Jesus, the corporal reality of the risen Christ. In some of my reading and research, I, I found that uh, a guy named Ignatius, who is the, the Pope of Antioch in the second century, that he paraphrased Jesus' words saying, see that I am not a bodiless ghost. I think maybe in our vernacular, in our modern way of thinking, we might say that the disciples thought that they were encountering the dead, not the living, maybe the, the living dead. And having Jesus offer his body for examination and having Jesus eating in their presence, Luke is saying that the risen Christ is the Jesus who died. And this identification, this man who died and has risen, is not just a, a critical identification for theology, but also for defining the nature of Christian life and Christian discipleship. If the Jesus who died belongs to the historical past, but the one the disciples now follow is the eternal Christ, then the Christian life can take on forms of spirituality that are without suffering for others, without suffering with others, without a cross, without an engagement on the issues of life that are in this world, all while expressing devotion to a living spiritual Christ. You see, all the Gospels say no such thing about Christian discipleship. Luke here is making sure that all of us understand that the risen Lord, the risen Christ, is the Christ who suffered. Resurrection is always joined with, always follows crucifixion. The risen Lord, the Lord of the church, had nail scars on his hands and his feet. This seems to be Luke's point when he records Jesus saying, look at my hands and feet. It's really me. Touch me and see. For a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you see I have. Easter is forever joined to Good Friday. To follow the risen Christ is to follow the one who bore the cross. This seems to be what this section is doing. Luke is compelling us to see, to recognize, to touch, to proclaim that he is the Jesus who died, the Christ resurrected. I'd imagine that all of our lives have scars, physical, emotional, spiritual. 
To deny the experience that brought them is also to deny the lessons learned from them. To deny the person that you have become because you have journeyed through them. I'd imagine that this risen Lord, this risen Christ, is one not only we can relate to, but I hope it's one that we can follow with all of our lives. As Luke has shown us here in our text in this chapter, in the midst of our doubts, even when we don't right away recognize him in the least of these, that he is real, that he is risen, that our lives lived are real, that the impact we can make for others is real, that we can leave a legacy of Christ, the risen Lord, in our lives lived here and now today, that we can leave a legacy of the Christ risen and the stewardship of our lives. Well, it makes me think of a, a, pray, a prayer prayed often at, at funerals. It says, Speak to us once more your solemn message of life and of death. Help us to live as those who are prepared to die. And when our days here are accomplished, enable us to die as those who go forth to live, so that living or dying, our life may be in you, and that nothing in life or in death will be able to separate us from your great love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen. I hope you have a blessed week, my beloved friends, and I hope that as you dive further in the Luke 24, that you'll find more perspective of what this encounter not only mean, meant for the 11, but what it means for us as we want to revitalize and relive our lives, the stewardship of our lives in the resurrected Lord. Grace and peace.